Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Today we're talking about the big bus. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You're listening to The Best Legs in Chicago, and now it's time for Footnotes, when we decide to take a break from our journey through Dan Aykroyd's life, career, and mind, and explore a movie that maybe is related tangentially or something that's that's been um that's caught our interest and in this case we wanted to celebrate the life and legacy of ned Beatty, who we lost too soon at the young age of 83 so we are here to discuss <laughs> the big bus preston is loving this he's laughing really hard right now what are you doing that was such a long intro <laughs> There have been movies about big earthquakes. There have been movies about big boats sinking. Movies about big buildings burning. Movies about big German balloons bursting. And now, a movie about the big bus. I quite enjoyed the big bus the big bus was such a pleasant surprise it's been it's been present in our lives for many years we had seen the poster the trailer uh and we constantly joke about the big bus and i watched Uh, it i put it on once while i was working at vulcan but it was a busy shift and i and i don't don't remember anything from it except for the um piano the the like lounge singer in the uh bus bar so right. that was pretty much all I all I recall from it. But you first came across this movie when you were exploring Ned Beatty's filmography. So that's why when we lost Ned Beatty, I thought this would be the perfect film for us to watch. And I got to say, I didn't, for some reason, I thought it was serious. I didn't know it was a comedy. You thought it was serious? I thought it was a serious film about a big bus. Oh, no, it's not. Yeah, I, I don't know. Does that make me crazy for thinking that? No, no, not at all. Um, but yeah, it's especially, I think the first 20 minutes are super strong and the first 20 minutes has like airplane level good jokes. And I think especially there's a scene where the bus driver, who's our main character played by, what's his name? John Baloney? Joseph Baloney. Yeah, Joseph Bal- Joe Joe Baloney. I love it's Joe Baloney. Yeah. Um, hang on. Yeah, especially, so the, the one scene I want to single out, which I think is the best set piece in the whole movie, is when Joseph Baloney, a disgraced bus driver, shows up at the bus driver bar where all the other bus drivers hang out. And they're all, uh, they all, they all hate him because he gives bus drivers a bad name because his bus crashed in like snowy mountains uh, years before and he was everyone thinks that he survived by eating all 110 passengers the setup though um <laughs> no yes he go uh, it's so dramatic the it's shot with a lot of haze and the aspect ratio to this film is like a wide two three five or two four oh so it's very cinematic and it's very dramatic it's very quiet and it, it feels like a 70s drama where they're just arguing about, you know, some past thing. It's a great I set. Think, 
And I really feel like they're arguing for probably a good two minutes. And it's not funny beyond the subtle things that you realize they're bus drivers arguing about what, bus, what being should bus other, drivers. Right. And it should otherwise be about somebody murdering somebody. And then suddenly he just casually drops it. Look, I didn't eat 100, 141. Oh, it was good. All right. Yeah, we should he, discuss- says, he says, I ate the cushions. I ate the <laughs> luggage. I boiled down the floor mats just like they taught us. And I, and, and they're like, anyway, so there's this recurring thing that he ate one foot. Yeah. I but- only ate a foot. Yeah. He said, my co-pilot made a stew. I didn't know there was a foot in the stew. You eat one lousy foot and everyone calls you a cannibal. <laughs> That's a great line. The film is about a big bus that is operated by this nuclear power company called Cyclops. And they're providing the first um, nonstop service straight from New York to Denver. I think I told you in the movie, like that the tra- in the trailer, they say, they say that they're like the first nonstop service from New York to Denver. Why you ask? Why not? And- <laughs> so the, there is this evil man whose entire family legacy they work i think the impression they work for uh oil companies basically to uh create disasters that will take down alternate forms of travel so this nuclear bus is an existential threat to the oil companies and these there's also um it implies that they have they were responsible for sinking the titanic and blowing up the hindenburg and you know this because the evil villain who is is planning the destruction of the big bus is, is in an iron lung in this ornate room that has these amazing like oil paintings of like the Titanic sinking and the Hindenburg exploding. Just a great set, super fun, giant iron lung in the middle. Then there's also, so speaking of that, I want, I want to talk about the sets. This that, that set's great. The set at the HQ of the nuclear power plant uh, where the nuclear headquarters where they're, you know, communicating with the buses is great. Like all this like pink and green lighting and just like the old fashioned like modules with like beeping screens. Ugh, it's so good. And then really on, good. on the bus, you have like the main section where everyone sits is like rainbow colored. And then there's the Oriental bar, quote unquote, on the bus has uh, like this goofy a lounge singer I don't, I don't know there's like all these amazing set pieces are just like crammed into this movie the bus has a bowling alley the bus has a swimming pool and just like all this attention goes into it and it's so silly and it's so nice to see a comedy that is just it's like i don't know so committed to a really dumb idea i i, I man i really really like well it. i think it's important to note the time that when this came out because this was the big bus came out in 1976. This was at the peak of disaster cinema, which I am a huge fan of disaster cinema. I love disaster movies. And for anybody that's not familiar with disaster cinema, there was this big explosion of movies starting with airport uh, where an entire genre was kind of created uh centered around massive disasters with a huge ensemble casts uh, where you had to get out of really dangerous situations so there was airport which was kind of the first big one where there was a 
bomb on board the plane. Somebody who's going to hijack the plane and blow it up. Then Dean Martin's the pilot and Burt Lancaster and they have to save it. Then you had like the Poseidon adventure, which a boat is turned upside down and they have to go from the top of the boat to the bottom to, to save themselves. The town and that's one of your favorite movies. Oh, it's so good. Irwin Allen produced both the Poseidon adventure and the towering inferno he's nicknamed the master of disaster um because he made two of the best the towering inferno is the tallest building in the world catches fire on opening night when they're having a gala on the top floor um god they're both so good and so this movie is kind of a parody uh of disaster films but it's so different because um it commits so hard to what I would assume would be a parody. Like sometimes you can kind of see through parodies, like it's clearly a parody, right? Like you can see the actors leaning into it, but this one, it wasn't like that whole bus scene uh, where they're at the, the like bus driver's bar that we were talking about a few minutes ago. And they were arguing like these actors were like so committed to this scene, like in Stockard Channing's in the movie, she stars as the designer of the bus mm-hmm. and she commits so hard to everything that she's in. And I just think that like the, the level of commitment on like all across the board with just how ridiculous these set pieces are made it so enjoyable. The less driver bar scene is I think it happens early on in the movie and it's a highlight of the movie. And I think the reason it works, you're talking about how it's it's played so seriously. And it's the scene in the movie that feels the most like something from airplane, like sense of humor wise, right. because it's a bunch of people taking something very silly at, at face value and being very serious. But this movie came out four years before airplane. Right, it came up prior to it. I think we, I said, we, we talked about that while we were watching it. We were like, why is this not talked about as much as Airplane is? Because to me, this was a pretty fantastic parody. And I think I know why. It's because Airplane, it just in both movies, everything's taken at face value and everything's taken very seriously. Mm-hmm. But in this, the premise is still a joke, a big bus. Like that's inherently silly. But Airplane commits even further where that the actual premise is it could be like an actual disaster movie because it is about an airplane where they're, the pilot is is sick and can't land the plane. So, right. so a passenger has to land it like that. And that is like they they did take that premise exactly from another movie. So Wait, coincidentally, it was not airport, which I thought for my entire life, airplane was a parody of airport, but it's not. It's a no, it's from an older movie called like uh zero hour zero hour yes okay um so i think it is because the the big bus didn't quite crack the genius of airplane because the premise itself is still silly that's right actually as you're saying that uh they even poke fun at that in the movie because in the big bus you're right one of the big jokes i think i think ned baby's the one that says it I can't remember who actually I want to believe it was Ned Beatty, but somebody says they're like, this journey is going to resurrect bus travel from the dead. Like, that's also part of the joke of the movie is that like, who the hell would design a not like even take nuclear out of it? Who is making a bus so big that's going to go across the country? Like, this doesn't work. It's not feasible. And it's it's just a bad idea. And the bus is huge. And it's it's, it's like the production design of this movie is so much fun. And the bus it's like 
two separate buses that are joined with kind of like an accordion section in the middle. And it has this giant rocket booster on the back, man. It's so goofy looking. A random thought I had while I was watching this, uh, because you know that I have a fascination with weird seventies film, Mm -hmm. which sometimes stems into television, but usually it's film. There was a TV show in 1979 called super train. Are you familiar with super train? No. Okay. Super Train was a television show that got canceled after the first episode. (laughs) And I'm going to read you the plot of Super Train. Here we go. Super Train is a series that takes place on the Super Train, a nuclear-powered bullet train that is equipped with amenities and uh, more appropriate and desirable than a cruise ship. So it was basically a soap opera set on board a nuclear-powered train that was speeding across the country. And I saw a lot of similarities between Super Train and the Big Bus. Um, and I don't know why I'm bringing this up other than in Super Train, there is this scene where uh, the man that is the designer of the train, he has a big curly mustache and like white hair, and he's the one designing trains. And, and this is kind of at the downfall of train travel in the United States. And so it's a similar thing where they were joking in the big bus. They're like, we're going to bring back bus travel in the, in super train. Uh, all these people are getting so mad at this guy for designing this nuclear powered train. He's spending so much money and resources and somebody stands up in the middle of the business meeting and he says something ridiculous. Like, sorry, I have to get this quote. So correct. you've seen, you've seen this. <laughs> yes. I've seen super train. Well, because super train failed the TV show. So it was converted into a TV film. So it it was supposed to be an entire series and it just did not. So it's it's like the love boat meets it's like the love boat crossed with Snowpiercer. Right. Exactly. Okay. Sounds really good. Okay. (laughs) There's a business meeting with the man that runs the super train and is designing it. And they're, they're having a board meeting and this other guy stands up in the middle of it and just says, you know what I think about all this? I think your obsession with trains is taking you on a suicide mission with this company. No, that's not right. Whatever. Skip this. It's irrelevant. It's just, I think it's a very funny scene, but. Well, no, I, I want to talk. I love talking about, I like, I'm going to leave everything in about super train. A suicide gamble with the future of this company based on your fascination with railroads. Okay. So I want to point something out. Point it. Ned Beatty. Oh, what a gem. I want to talk about Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty was in a lot of movies. Ned Beatty was in this movie the same year. Okay, this movie came out in 1976, right? Right, which was after Nashville. It was after Nashville, but in 1976, Ned Beatty was in All the President's Men. Good Lord. Uh, Gator. Oh, Gator's great. That's he a great film. He was in Network and Mikey and Nikki. Good God. And, and Silver Streak, all in the Jesus same year, 1976. Christ. Oh, my God. Is he He could have started his career there and ended it and been fine. But what a Brett, like everything from Gator and the Big Bus <laughs> to Network and all the President's Men, Mikey and Nikki, like just uh, Mikey I mean, and Nikki. My God. What that, he, a in that, in career that year. in one year. In that year, he worked with Alan Pakula, Elaine May, uh, Sydney Lumet, uh, Sydney Lumet, um, 
Gator. I don't know. Was that Hal Needham? Did did he do Gator? I don't think so. Uh, Gator. Oh, Gator was directed by Burt Reynolds. Oh, so Burt Reynolds. Okay, so not Hal Needham, but still Burt Reynolds. Like Jesus, Lord have mercy. That was. I mean, what a lineup. And also, I we all know Ned Beatty. What what he looked like uh, in all the what he what he looked like his whole life. But specifically, we know what he looks like in Network. Everyone knows that scene where he's standing at the end of the table and he's yelling at Howard Beale. In that scene, he is 39. Is he really? Yeah, and that's why when he died this past week, he was 83. Which feels young these days. Because you and I... I honestly thought he was in his 90s because he's always looked so old. No way, dude. Remember we pulled up his website and then he had like a country uh, a country singing career now? Yeah, yeah. He was singing country music. Oh, but now really? but there are people like, let's see, M. Emmett Walsh is like 95. Oh, no. M. Emmett Walsh is 86. Jeez. He just looks old. He just looks really old. Dude, Ned Beatty. I mean, that guy's career. Ned Beatty is like. Ned Beatty's one of the greatest actors ever. I mean, he was in Deliverance, which is an insane, I don't want to say breakout performance, but like it's one of his most memorable performances, obviously. You know I haven't seen. You haven't seen Deliverance? Deliverance, right? What, have you? Did you just actively choose not to watch it? I just haven't seen it. Should I watch it tomorrow? Yeah, you should watch it tomorrow. Look, here's the thing with Deliverance. People like to not watch deliverance or talk shit about deliverance um because of the infamous scene and they'll say i'll never watch it because of that scene right but Mm. deliverance is a really really good movie and john borman directed the shit out of it and the photography is incredible and it is one of the best like i mean the whole movie is a poem it opens with a poem it opens with burt reynolds literally talking about people raping the back country because of society and how we're moving forward and how we're destroying this planet. And, and it's a whole, it's just, it's just a wonderful metaphor, the entire movie. And it's so well done. Um, you should watch it hundred uh, percent. It's really, really good. I need to watch it. Yeah. I watched a John Borman film yesterday, but I, but I watched point blank yesterday, but I was, I was lukewarm on it. Okay. Um, anyway, but obviously we watched this for Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty is not, in it a ton but when he's in it he's the best he's so funny he's he is uh the anytime he's on screen he's the best i don't know i love ned Beatty. Ned Beatty's and i'm great. glad we watched this forgotten film that you know maybe if he chose which film his life would be remembered by i'm sure he would pick the big bus <laughs> on his deathbed he was probably like yes you know what? The big bus. I want them to know that I was, that I was, that's what I want them to remember. That's the is. one. But um, th- this is also connected to blue. Uh, this is also connected to uh, Dan Aykroyd because I didn't realize it till 20 minutes into watching it, that um, George Murphy Dunn, also known as Murph, who was uh, Murph and the blues brothers and is a real musician was in this film. He plays he play- the piano, the lounge singer. Right. He plays the keyboardist in the Blues Brothers and the lounge singer in the Blues Brothers. And then he's also the keyboard lounge singer in the Big Bus. And it's he was kind of just playing himself because he plays himself in both movies, kind of. 
Yeah, and he's great. Anytime you see him, he's always singing and he's always like the bus will be like careening out of control and exploding and it'll cut to him in the bar like singing about how the bus is careening out of control. Like, yeah, hey, everybody, yeah. the bus is flying down the road now. Really good. Really, he, I think he's like for stuff like that. I am too. And I, I think in the Blues Brothers too, when they go find him, I, I might get this wrong. Uh, so somebody can correct me, but I'm pretty sure that when they go find him, he's like singing at the Holiday Inn and he's got a band and it's called Murph and the Magic Tones and he's got like pink fuzz on his keyboard. Yes. He's doing the same kind of things like, hey, welcome to the Holiday Inn, everybody. I'm Murph and the Magic Tones. He's doing the same thing. The big buzz. It's great. I, there's a moment when the pickup truck, the, the big bus is driving down a curvy road in the Rockies. And, and a pickup truck careens off of another road and slams into the top of the big bus and lands into the lounge room while he's singing. And as he's singing, uh, he just says, oh, welcome to the Oriental Lounge or whatever it's yeah, called. Welcome and, aboard. and he just keeps playing as these like people are sitting in this pickup truck in the middle of the bus. It's like lounge. crashed in the side of the bus. It's like in Freebie and the Bean, like when the car flies into that apartment. Oh, Freebie, and the, Freebie Bean. and the Bean, so good, yes. I haven't seen that movie in a while. I should rewatch it. The, the, the thing about this movie that I liked the most was that nothing really made sense in the, in the disaster aspect of one thing leading to the next. Like all of the elements of disaster we're not just fake it wasn't it wasn't like airplane goofy it was like so absurdly ridiculous that this would happen and that this decision would be made it almost feels like a child writes it and yet they commit really hard to it so like at the very end when the bus has no brakes and a career you know and the truck drives into it the the writers decide to just leave the truck lodged into the side of the bus for the entire rest of the movie there's no attempt to remove it (laughs) then it goes off the cliff and they're ba- they're trying to balance and like the the and it's like kind of like a teeter totter on a cliff this long bus, and the two bus pilots are sitting in the cockpit and they're like, well, what do we got to do? We got to put weight in the back so we don't tilt off. The obvious thing would be to move all of the passengers to the back of the bus, but of course the pilots like, no, we can't do that. We're gonna pump fifteen hundred gallons of Coca Cola from the front to the back and fill the kitchen up yeah, and for some like reason, a balloon. The, the the bus pilots have control over, like there's a so bunch of right. buttons with like Fresca, Coca-Cola, like root beer. Like, I, it's like, why would that be there? And I don't know. Like, this goes back to why I think airplane is so successful is because everything about airplane, like, it, I don't know. I'm about to say everything about airplane is serious, which isn't true, but like everything in airplane works I, I I don't I don't know what I'm saying, but I think you understand what I'm getting at. Is that like an airplane? Air, airplane is at least grounded into some degree of like they're they're, they're parroting reality. Where in the big bus, nobody under any circumstances no would have to pump two thousand pounds of Fanta into into a kitchen <laughs> filled with donuts to balance the bus. Out. Yeah, and so so the what's what's the actress's name? Stockard Channing. Stucker chaining is in the kitchen in the back and then the kitchen starts like flooding with soda and she's like drowning and he has to go save her. The, the movie is interesting because as we frequently complain about, all movies now are part of, they're all made by Disney and they're all part of like a larger cinematic universe or existing IP or, you know, they're, they're all like connecting to some sort of existing property or tying in a bunch of existing properties and mm-hmm. they're all 
made with focus groups and and everything and whenever any any new movie coming out feels connected to something that already exists it is already connected it it, it all you know branches off from something that reliably already has a built-in audience right. this movie feels like it exists in a vacuum yeah it does Not you know like, what's we oh sorry well it's interesting because I agree. It does feel like it's in a vacuum and, and even weirder than it existing in a vacuum is that this feels like a movie that should be really difficult to find, right? Like, oh, yeah, it feels book, like we like, should have had to watch this on a VHS. Like, but it's like, not. It's readily available everywhere. You can rent it everywhere at really clean, crisp scans of the prints and nobody's heard of it and it shouldn't be readily available. And yet it is. On uh, Letterboxd, it only has 120 reviews. Wow. It's weird. Like, is it overlooked? Should this movie be be looked? I think I it think should so. be looked. I, I like so. looking at it. I like looking at it. I think it was a good film. And I, I still stand by what I said earlier that I was like, I, I don't understand why we watch Airplane so much and we don't watch this one. Well, Airplane's it, better. That's partly why. Well, Airplane's better, but this this is still, this is not a bad parody. I think this should be watched. I, I think it should not be forgotten. And also, I always have room for Ned Beatty in my diet. Yeah, I would put this up there with Airplane. I'd put it up with Top Secret. I Like, not, not in equally as amazing, but like, yeah, if you like those movies, Check out the big bus. It's really good. Good morning, all. This is the Today Program. I'm Tom Brokaw, here with Gene Chalet and Jane Pauley. Busy at work even as we get started during this hour of the Today Program. According to my timetable, there's going to be a super train pulling in in the next half hour, and Jack Perkins is going to tell you all about it. Some train. <laughs> For you know, I'm a big train fan. I never, however, have been on a train that cost $6 million, at least not to my knowledge, I haven't. But there is a super train coming. Why, there it is. And Jack Perkins is going to be along in this half hour to tell us all about the super train that hits NBC tonight, and we hope it's a hit. And NBC hopes it stays on the tracks. There's a lot of money invested in that one. $6 million may be the low side of the budget, it turns out. That's right, Tom. You know, the reason they call this a station is that there's a new train pulling in tonight. It's a super train, and there's hope it will pull in a big audience because there's a lot riding on this train. That's on tonight on NBC Super Train. Now we'll be back after this message. Woo